last week we launched this series, Summit Life. And as we launched the series, we talked about the phrase, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Last week we were talking about Abraham and Isaac and all that came down there and on that mountaintop as he said, I know that my God will provide. And he took that promise for real. Jesus Christ ended up being the ultimate conclusion of that promise on that very hillside that we might have salvation rich and free. And that's what we were talking about last week. And as we dive into Summit Life now this week, what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to pursue? What does it mean to experience our living God? And how do we go after that? Each and every week, we're going to be looking at a different experience that someone had with their God. Usually, God walked them up to the top of a hill or a mountain and said, let me introduce to you the vastness of this experience. They had a summit life moment with their God. And so we're going to be looking at each of those different experiences, one each week, and grasping what it means to experience our living God. And today, we're actually talking about experiencing his answer to prayer, his answer to prayer. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 17. Starting in verse 8. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. What does it mean to experience an answer to prayer? And how do we go about doing that? Point number one, work to honor the Lord while always bathing it in prayer. Work to honor the Lord while always bathing it in prayer. If we're going to experience an answer to prayer, it is going to involve us investing ourselves into it. Work. But it's also going to involve us being able to pray it through. Pray. An answer to prayer comes, kind of a no-dust statement, when we actually pray, right? And so really important that we're about this, that we work with all we've got and that we pray with all we've got. Let's just start here, chapter 17, verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Let's just hold right there, all right? It starts out, then. Make sure when you're reading scripture, you actually get the context of everything. Then what? What was happening? What was taking place? And And we'll talk a little bit about what was happening right before it, but let's back it up even to last week what we were talking about with Abraham and Isaac and all that was going on with that. That was somewhere around 1900 BC, we'll just call it kind of approximation times. About 1900 BC was Abraham and Isaac, and they went up to the Mount Moriah, and Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, but he had a promise from God that said, that son will have many offspring, and that son will be your offspring, plentiful, huge, like the numbers of stars in the sky, like the numbers of the grains of sand on the earth. Man, you are going to have massive amounts of offspring and blessing to a ton of people. That was a promise from God. So when Abraham was asked to go sacrifice Isaac, he was like, I don't know what's going on, but God knows what he's doing, and there's going to be some serious answer to prayer in this. And so Abraham went to Mount Moriah where the Lord ended up providing and there was a ram that was there. He stopped Abraham and said, don't do it. Here's what I have for you. And a ram ended up being offered up and he was able to sacrifice that and he declared out, the Lord will provide. 
That was around 1900 BC. Some 450 years later, there is a nation called Israel. They are captive in Egypt and they're being released. It's about 450 years later and this whole nation called Israel, these are all the offspring of Isaac. All of the offspring has become a nation and they're in Egypt and they're being released because of God running some plagues and being able to convince the Pharaoh, you better release him. And so all of Israel gets released. Moses is leading the way. He raises up his staff at the Red Sea. The Red Sea ends up parting and they end up walking through the Red Sea safe. They get to the other side and then the Red Sea closes back down. God's providing for, everybody say, the Lord provides. The Lord will provide, and now you have a massive nation being released, and the Lord will provide. Our God has an answer, and as they came out on the other side of the Red Sea, they ended up going to a place called Rephidim. As they arrived there, the nation of Israel, in mass, is starting to get a little bit upset about the trip already. They're like, are we there yet? Like, where's the water? When are we going to stop? That was all gone. And all of us who are parents recognize that moment and recognize the pain of that moment, right? You're like nine minutes into the trip. Are we there yet? These guys have just crossed the Red Sea. That's all that's happened, right? And on the other side of it, they're actually already whining about needing a little bit of water. We would have been better if we'd have stayed at home. This is terrible. And Moses, being led by God, he ends up being taught how to use this staff, stand before God, go before a rock and declare out the greatness of God and water ends up being provided there at Rephidim. The people, the grumblers are now gaining a little bit of hope, right? They've had the water, but these are whiners and complainers. Now we pick it up, chapter 17, verse one or verse eight. Then, so after the whining, we got it. After the complaining, they're just about to enter the desert. They've come across the Red Sea there's a lot going on. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. You got to understand, man, these guys are whining about needing a drink. They're whining about the trip not done yet. And now a whole nation comes against them to fight them, right? A good answer to this moment would be, uh-oh, right? Just say it out loud with me. Get ready. You're going to need to respond. Here we go. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now we're getting it, right? You got to grasp the context. These guys are whining. They're complaining. They can barely handle it. A little water was throwing them off. Now they got a nation coming at them, ready to fight them and kill them. Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. I love that he doesn't say, get the nation together, let's go fight. Right? It doesn't say it here, but I'm sure he's thinking, choose the men, not the whiners. Get some people who are ready to wade into this thing, man. Get some guys who are ready to stand on our behalf. Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. This is the first time, actually, that we're seeing the name Amalek, and it'll come up a lot more in Scripture over the course of time. This is somehow a guy who ended up having a nation named after him, Amalek the guy, the Amalekites being the nation. And these Amalekites are coming after him with all they've got. And he's like, uh, hey, Joshua, 
choose for us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. First time that Joshua is mentioned in scripture here as well. And he's now being called out to be kind of a field marshal, if you will, a field general. It says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now there's a couple of ways you could hear that. Hey, you go fight. I'm going over there. Right? And that's not what's going on. He's like, hey, you go fight. And he's going to be out in the plain right there at Rephidim. So he's going up on the hill at Rephidim. And he's going to stand over it where he can see everything going on. And he's going to be up there with the staff of God, the same staff that was used to be able to have those plagues executed in Egypt. The same staff that was used when the Red Sea was parted. The same staff that was used when the water was delivered. I'm taking that staff and I'm going up on that hill. And I'm telling you what Joshua heard was, you hang on. You go and you do what you need to do. And I am going to bring the God of this universe involved in this problem. You hang on. As he goes up to the top of the hill with this staff in hand, his goal is to storm the throne of grace. He says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. And uh, hey, just a little moment. If you have a boss, understand that God's in charge. In Romans 13, he places all authority in charge all the way down to the smallest of authorities. And know that your boss is ultimately and finally placed there by God. And your job is actually to say, Lord, I'm following you. So I'm going to follow my boss. So I'm going to listen to my parents. So I understand who's been put in charge over me. And God, ultimately, as I listen to them, I'm listening to you. This is a huge moment in our lives. It's really easy for us to get kind of bent on the fact that we think we know what's going on. And because we know what's going on and they seem to be missing it, I have the right to buck against Be careful. Our job is to actually understand that God's ultimately and finally in charge and whoever he's placed over me, I need to show respect there. Joshua fully grasping that. It says, so that Joshua did as Moses told him. By the way, that's a good definition of obedience, right? Did as Moses told him. And uh, it's not like he's grumbling the whole way and whining. This is the task at hand and this is what I'm doing. We go after it with a positive attitude, a hope in the midst, and we're obedient as we do it. That's what it looks like as we follow our God. Often, the best direction we can get is by listening to those that actually have some authority in our lives, and they're actually trying to lead and guide. And we let them lead and guide in that. He says that he's going to go stand up on this hill. Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Moses, Aaron, and Hur. So now two more guys, Aaron and Hur. They're going up with Moses. They're going to kind of represent the priestly side of things. They're going up to storm the throne of grace. They're going up to be able to be in that prayer session with and for and to God Almighty. So they're going up to the top of the hill. The original language word there is rosh. It means head or summit. And in fact, that's where we get the word for the name of our church, Summit Point Church. We pulled it out of this word that you see in the Old Testament that gets translated over as either top of hill or the summit of the hill. You see it different ways in the ESV. The summit, the top of the hill. They went up to the top of the hill at Rephidim 
to be able to go after this moment of experience with their God. It says, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Whenever he held up his arms, they started winning. And can you imagine how that went? I mean, you get up there, your whole goal is to pray, right? So you get up to the top and you take this staff and you're like, Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work. God, we pray that you would stir in this moment, that you would bring Israel victory. Lord, that you would help them move this nation backwards. And, and all of a sudden, you're watching it right below you on the field. It's just starting to move. People are moving this way. Amalek is starting to run. You're seeing Israel doing things. You're like, thank you, Lord. This is awesome. This is great. Have you ever held your arms up for a little while? Right? And you're like, that was awesome. Going the other way. Right? Can you imagine that? And there had to be a few times where that happened. And you're like, oh, it's going the other direction. Man, I hope they get it together. I wonder what they're doing. And then you're like, maybe we should pray again. Lord, we pray that you would. Starts to go this way. Right? Lord, we just pray. And one of them somewhere, it doesn't say who, but somebody went, are you noticing <laughs> that every time your hands are raised, we're winning. And every time your hands are down, we're not. Are you noticing that? And, and who knows who it was? Probably Moses doesn't say. But at some point, they started grasping winning, losing. Winning, <laughs> losing. May we grasp that all too often we pray too little. And we count on our actions too much. And Moses started to grasp the value of praying with all he had. And uh, man, I'll tell you, I was looking for a couple of illustrates this week, and this is kind of a, a little bit older illustrate, but I love this. Um, there was some missionary work going on in Africa, and uh, this whole tribe of people came to trust Christ as Savior, and they were following Jesus. They were excited about it. They had been trained on what it looked like to follow Jesus, and so they began to spend every day in some devotional time, and they're out in Africa in the kind of the back country. And so there were, there were thickets everywhere. And so they were doing their personal time together. And then they would do a corporate time together. And then they would go about the rest of their day. And, and in this personal time that they would go after, each of them would have their own spot that they would go to. They would make their way through the thicket to their spot. And then they would pray there for a period of time. And day after day after day, they would go that walk right to that spot. And they end up creating a path right to their spot. And like their pathways were all over through the thicket that showed their going to the thunderous throne of glory and asking God for assist for the day and for them to lean in with him and thank him and praise him. They went into the thicket to their spot on their path. Over time, as they lived life, some decided to maybe pray a little less. And as they didn't go on their paths on a regular basis, the grass started to grow up on their path. And the phrase actually became, brother, I see a little grass growing on your path. And it was speaking to their power of prayer and are you getting after it? You're missing out on prayer. It was a little call out one to another, brother, I see a little grass growing on your path. How are you doing? Man, so often, the power of our pursuit and experience of our God is measured in how often we pray. 
Are we going to our God in prayer? Or maybe I should say it this way. Brother, sister, how is the grass on your path? Do you have a path that you go on and a time that you have set aside where you go before your God in prayer? Where you grasp the value of prayer, you see the meaning of it, and you're coming before your God, not just asking, Lord, give me this, but a Lord, thank you. I praise you. You are awesome. Celebrate him and bring before him needs, sure, and ultimately confessing sin as well. May God get all the glory. How is the grass on your prayer path? Are you doing well at taking time getting alone with your God daily, regularly? Please hear me, man. This is not a moment to shame down, okay? This isn't the moment where you go, no, I got grass on my path. And I, it's me. I'm one of them. I got grass on it. Like, not that. Now it's time to say, Lord, may I go forward. May I get the path nailed down again. May I get regular in coming to you. It's time for us to experience the God of the universe meeting with me personally. Are you kidding me? What a privilege. May we thunderously run through that thicket to our path, to our spot, that God might get the glory. Man, let's not take prayer too lightly. It's easy to walk past it and make it all about our handiwork. May it be all about his handiwork as we pray and lean on him. And all of God's people said, first, may we work hard with all we've got like the Israelites out there fighting the war and may we bathe it in prayer like Moses up on top of the mountain. Second, partner together in the work of prayer. Partner together in the work of prayer. Man, prayer is not meant to be just alone. Yes, alone, but not just alone. May we also be praying together, partner together in it. And uh, I'll catch a running start here. It says, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. Moses' hands grew weary. Have you ever tried to hold your hands in the air for a while? Just do it with me. Just raise up both hands. Even if you've got a Bible in your hand, it makes it a little more like you've got a staff. Just keep them up. All right? Go ahead and just keep them up. I'm going to keep talking for a little while. Just keep them up. We're going to experience just a moment of this passage as he's raising up and he's like, Lord, help them win. Lord, may you move for Israel. God, might you do a work. Lord, I long for you to be able to do something powerful and passionate. They're winning. They're moving, right? And we just keep our hands in the air. Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm praying to you. Lord, I'm longing for you. Are you already feeling your shoulders a little? Right? This has been like a minute and a half, man. That's all. Go ahead. You can let them down. That's like a minute and a half. Moses is up there for hours and hours. Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him. They gave him a chair. Not a nice chair but they gave him a chair. They sat on a stone, right? And he's sitting on the stone and he puts it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. He's sitting 
And so they're actually coming over. Baby, raise your hand in the air for a sec. So they come over, and they're like this, and they're holding on. I think they're like this, because if they were like this, now their arm gets tired, right? And so they're like, hang on, let me figure this out. All right, that'll work for a while, right? And you're like trying to figure out how to organize it so you can keep their arm up in the air and not get tired yourself, and you're working as a trio. Thanks, hon. You're working as, that was never talked out. She didn't know that was coming, so I had to stop her from writing her notes, right? So, uh, yeah, holding up the arms together. And it says, but Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone, put it under him, and, they sat, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Everybody say partnership. This is what prayer partnering looks like. That when the one who is tired is ready to quit, you're holding them up. You're hanging in there with them. You're coming alongside with. It says, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Like an all day, all afternoon, all evening, coming till sunset, they were holding his hands in the air. Now remember, it said whenever his arms went down, they were losing. So there was a moment up front where he was like this, and there's winning. And then he's like, all right, that was good. Good prayer time. God's doing something. They're losing, right? Starts going this way. Goes like this. Lord, please, don't. Back again. And then he goes, all right, now we got it. Hands down. Now they're losing. Has to happen at least a couple of times before you go, hang on, right? And now you raise your hands and you come to God and you're winning in it. And all of a sudden he's like, this is going to be a long day, man. My hands got to be up in the air the whole time. And they're like, let us get you a stone. They bring over something, they set it down, they get him sitting on it, they're leaning against. Can you imagine the picture of him up against the sunset, his hands in the air, and the two guys standing, one on either side, holding it up as you get this monstrously stunning picture of God's in charge of this moment. And every time those hands are raised, we're winning. That was a major victory statement for all of Israel as they were down below fighting, looking up. And seeing them thunderously storming the throne of grace on our behalf. And that is a power moment as we go before our God in prayer together. Uh, you may not know this, but we have a prayer team here. We call it the Hilltop Team. And uh, our prayer teams pray throughout the week all over the place. And we have prayer teams that start on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And they pray for all the ministries of the church and for the services throughout today. And then at each service, 9, 11, and 4.30, we have people praying. We have five people over here in the prayer room right now praying for you. Their hands are raised, and they are longing for God to move in this place. May God get the glory. Amen, man. Amen. And if you want to be a part of a prayer team, we'd love to get you plugged in, but that's not the point. The point is, know this, our God moves in the midst of prayer. And all of God's people said, man, may God move even in this place right here, right now, as we come thunderously before his throne and cry out for him to move. May we lean on him. Moses' hands went down. Why? Well, because he was getting tired, right? Why do our hands go down in prayer? So I just wrote this down. Why we put our hands down. A couple of thoughts. 
Number one, I'm focusing on my own wounds. I'm focusing on my wounds. I'm hurting, man. I, I'm tired. I'm in pain. I, this isn't going the way I wanted. The, the, this thing that I'm praying for, it, it's going sideways. It, it's, it's driving me nuts how this is just, why isn't God answering with, right? I'm wounded. I'm hurting. I'm fearful. I, whatever. Maybe it's a physical wounding. Maybe it's an emotional or spiritual wounding, but I'm wounded and I'm really focused on my own wounds. Have you ever noticed how we're good at that? Like, hey, how you doing? Man, we can really go off on that one, right? How you doing? I can tell you nine things that are hurting right now, right? I'm wounded. And uh, number one reason we probably set our hands down is our own wounds and focusing on it. Number two, my own will. I'm focusing on my own will. You know, I'm praying to God and it seems that God is moving a different direction. And I'm not sure I'm really good with that. And I'm kind of done with that. And so, Lord, I prayed to you now. And now I'm going to try to go make this happen. My will. I want it my way. And so I've said something and it's over. And now I'm going to be about my stuff. My will. My wounds. My will. The hurts that I have. The wants that I have. And then the third one. And I'm focusing on my own work. And now this one's a dangerous one because I'll tell you, we do need to work. It is not wrong for us to be involved. And I actually said this uh, a week or two back, uh, a great Indian proverb, right? Uh, Pray to God, but row away from the rocks, right? That's a good, solid proverb, man. Pray to God, but row away from the rocks. We have some responsibility. Engage in that. Do that. Make sure you understand your work and you're going after it. And pray to your God with all you've got. All too often, once we start getting invested into our own work, we just kind of go, I got this. And we start trying to grind it out and make it happen. And all of a sudden, our day-to-day is more about our own planning and our own attacking and our own controlling and our own trying to make it happen. And in every once in a while, prayer moment. May we thunderously come to our God and lay it all in his hands. It is his sovereign will. It is his sovereign way. It is his love invested into our lives. May we come to him. And we often put our hands down because of our own wounds, because of our own will, or even because of our own work, where it's not wrong to get engaged, but we get so engaged we just stop praying. May we come to our God with all we've got and allow him to do a mighty work. It says here, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. There was a massive answer of yes as he raised his hands in the air, as he sat down on the stone, as he had the men, one on either side, holding his arms up, making sure that there was a thunderous cry to the throne of grace that God might do a work. They won. There was victory. They absolutely answered, heard the answer to prayer, yes. Thunderously, yes as they prayed prolifically, and as they worked hard. May God get all the glory. Man, partnering that we might see an answer in prayer.
is a huge deal. May we come before our God working together. Uh, there was a woman named Helen Rosevere, a uh, sweet missionary lady. Actually, when I was at Wheaton College, uh, way back, back in the 80s, when I was at Wheaton College, uh, she came in to speak at one of our chapels. And uh, she just has an amazing testimony of how God worked in her life. And there was a lot of pain and heartache along the way. She went through a lot of rough stuff. But as she went through that and as she declared that across a microphone to a large room of students, she was saying, know this, whatever God called me through, I was going there for his glory, not for my own. And so whatever he made me to go through, I went through it with a smile on my face celebrating him that God might do an amazing work. And she kept talking that way through the whole of the story. And then she got to this story. There was a moment in the mission field where a woman came to them, very pregnant, ended up having the child prematurely, um, and the woman was very sick. She ended up passing away there at the mission field. So the mom just passed away. And this little baby has now been born prematurely, has a little bit older sister. And so the two little girls are there at the mission and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they're like, we need an incubator, but we don't have one. We need an incubator to somehow keep this child warm. And so they started to talk through what it could look like. And one of the doctors there said, a hot water bottle would work perfectly. Does anybody have a hot water bottle? And, and they're in Africa, so no. Right, So they're looking around and they can't find a hot water bottle in any way, shape, or form. And so they were talking about it and one of the, some of the kids came up that were part of the mission there and they said to her, what's going on? Because they, they could tell she was kind of worried and some tears and, and she said, we need a hot water bottle. And the little girl says, let's pray. And so Helen said, so I looked at her and I said, okay, honey, let's pray. And she says, Lord God, we need a water bottle. We need it today. We need one now, right now, or this little girl's going to die. God, you know the need. We need a water bottle. Will you please bring it? And the little girl standing next to her said, and can you bring a little doll, please, too? She has an older sister. <laughs> and she's kind of worried. If you could get a doll for her, too, that'd be great. And, uh, and they're like, amen. And Helen Rosaria's like, Okay, here we go. Like an hour later, the mail is delivered for the first time in a long time. And as the mail gets delivered in, they start taking out clothing and a few foodstuffs that they need. And, and as they're pulling this out, they're just thankful for what came in. And the girl who prayed said, look for the water bottle. Go deeper. And as they went down in, sure enough, there was a water bottle and they pull out the water bottle and they're like, unbelievable, this water bottle came in today of all days. God knows what he's doing. And then the other little girl says, look for the baby doll. And they look deeper and there was one raggedy Ann little baby doll that had been sent along as well. Amen, man. Know this, man. Our God is sovereign and he knows what is and he knows what will be. And three months earlier, that prayer team got together to pray for that group of people. And as they prayed, God put it on them to deliver up a water bottle and a baby doll. And three months later to the day, it lands on the 
need. We serve a God who has this world in charge. And all of God's people said, in hand, it is his. We go to him because he rules it all. Are you willing to trust the God who knows all? The God who can do all? And the God who loves you with all he's got? He preps care boxes three months in advance that prayer might be answered. And all of God's people said, may we begin to pray like we're praying to that God. Expectantly and hopefully that God might get all the glory. Man, are you partnering in prayer? Are you praying for others and allowing God to move through you Maybe through your hands as you put a water bottle in a box. Maybe through your thunderous prayer as you come to him and cry out for him to move and stir. May God get all the glory. Are you partnering with your God and this body in prayer? And all of God's people said, may that be what our prayer life looks like. May we thunderously, powerfully work and pray and share. Number three, remember. Remember all the answers to prayer throughout life. Remember all the answers to prayer throughout life. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book. Write this as a memorial. Like, this is the first time that God ever said, get a diary. Did you know that? He's like, seriously, record some things that are going on. Make sure you have recorded down when you have been in the middle of heartache and God answered prayer with a yes. Make sure you know and you have memory of those moments when you were like, God, I have no idea what to do. Lord, may you do a work. May you come alongside. Lord, I'm wordless. Romans chapter 8 says that when we are without words, cry out. And know this, the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf. He will literally begin praying for you. Partnership. When we have nothing else left to partner with, Holy Spirit praying and partnering with you. You are not alone. And in the middle of this hurt and heartache world, God has a plan. Man, may we come to him with all We've got. He's like, Moses, make sure you write this memorial down. Now look what he says to do with it. And recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You make sure you keep reminding Joshua. Why is he saying that? Because they pushed Amalek back. The Amalekites got pushed back but not destroyed. They weren't gone. And those names would pop up again throughout the rest of their lives and existence. They would hear that. They would have threats from that. In fact, it would be years later. He says, actually, there's a promise here. I want you to say that they will utterly be blotted out. They will be gone. It was 1450-ish BC, thereabouts. Some 500 years later under King David, that's when the Amalekites were blotted out. God working with the nation of the Amalekites and bringing them along and God even putting King David in charge over it. And so from Abraham to this moment with Moses and Joshua, some 450 years, and then another 450 to 500 years. And now all of a sudden you've got the answer completely resolved. 
Our God answers in his timing and he's got a plan. May we understand what he's doing and may we trust him. In this moment, he was like, record this memorial that God answered this prayer. And may that be but a taste so that you can hold on to the promise that God answers prayer. God answers promises. God brings them to be. May we lean on him. May we trust in him. And then he says that they will be blotted out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Like he is my flagpole that I raise up that says, this is what I'm all about. The Lord is my banner. I lift him up and I celebrate my God. I worship the one who speaks in this place exists. I worship the one who by his presence sustains it all. I worship the one who moves three months in advance of an answer to prayer that he might answer prayer. Our God knows what he's doing. And all of God's people said, are you willing to come to him in humble prayer? Lord God, Would you move in this moment, please? I'm laying this before you now. You are my banner and my hope. It says, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have a war with Amalek from generation to generation. He's like, know this. God is our protection. And we worship him. Simple question. What is your war? What is your Amalek? Maybe it's something physical you're facing. Maybe it's something emotional or spiritual you're you're facing. What is your Amalek? Know this. You are not alone. Your God is right here with you. And we can be praying alongside of you. These friendship registers every week when we're taking down the prayer requests, man, there is no toying around with that. We are storming the throne of grace on your behalf. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, may we bring our struggles to him. That's when we experience the answer to prayer. Let's pray. 